Well, hello there, and thanks for finding us. I'd like to welcome you today to the Recycler Secret Podcast. Regardless if this is your first time or if you've been here since the beginning, it's my pleasure to engage your earballs, not your eyeballs. This podcast is an open and candid interview with an industry professional who specializes in recycling or a subset of materials management. During our time together, I hope to dive deep into the person, their organization, and most importantly, how to duplicate their success, which I broadly call the magic. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome today's guest. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us today in the Recycler Secret podcast. This episode of Recycler Secrets, we're joined by Nick Carlson, the VP of Donated Goods and Operations at Goodwill Industries in Greater Grand Rapids. Nick's job is to find the most valuable solutions for the huge amount of materials which are donated every year in West Michigan. Uh, Nick comes uh, from a, a background in social services, and that's really Goodwill's mission in life is to promote jobs through social services with the difficult to employ. So there's a mission behind the donated goods. Um, Nick's a West Michigan native here, lives over in Spring Lake, uh, attended Olivet Nazarene University in Illinois, go Tigers. And uh, we're just going to talk a little bit today and, and learn about uh, Goodwill Industries and, and how their model works. And, you know, hopefully you'll get some tidbits out of this and some takeaways. So Nick, why don't you take a moment, pick up from there and tell us a little more about yourself and give us a little nugget of your personal life. Yeah, sounds great. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I've been with Goodwill. It'll be uh, 12 years this fall. Um, love every minute of it. And, um, you know, I have a wife and a seven-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son, and that uh, keeps me up most nights, uh, but loving every minute of it. So, All right. And you're an avid hockey player, too. I play ice hockey, absolutely. Nice. Absolutely. So, Nick, tell us just a, a smidgen more about Goodwill Industries, the mission, and, you know, kind of what, what drives you guys. Yeah, great. So, yeah, Goodwill exists to change lives and communities through the power of work. Um, our entire donated goods system, which most, most people are familiar with, our retail stores and um, our donation collection um, locations, um, but all of that really exists, like you had mentioned previously, to help um, change lives and help folks um, attain <clears throat> their potential. Um, our goal is to help people get into long-term competitive employment. Um, and help them, we act kind of as a triage at times to help folks find what they need so they can get to successful employment. So all the donations that come into Goodwill, we're trying to earn the most value from those materials that we can so we can fund that portion of our mission. Um, so something, uh, you know, a, a pair of shoes comes in, we're going to evaluate that to determine are we going to be able to make the most money selling that online, selling it in our stores, sell it into our outlet center or into our recycling markets, um, and try and get as much as we can to fund that mission? Awesome. So, Nick, let's talk today by, you know, taking a few minutes to dive into the different value materials and how it's defined within Goodwill Industries. When I first toured your facility several years ago, you know, I was shocked by the process that goes into finding the best value for any given item. You know, you've really got three markets that you guys move towards, retail, online, and salvage. You know, as you explain the process, let's use donated books as a great example of the value streams. And feel free to use any other examples you want to add on to that. Yeah, books are a fantastic example um, to, to kind of follow through that process. But <clears throat> what we do when a book comes into our, um, our one of our stores, 
We're going to use a scanning tool to scan the ISBN number, which then tells us what the going rate for that book is online. If it's above a certain value, we will post that online through Amazon.com, eBay, um, BarnesandNoble.com, any place that sells used books, we'll try and get that there so we can try and, again, maximize that value. If we're unable to sell it there over a period of time, or if the quality of that book or the specific title of that book doesn't sell as well online, uh, we'll put that into our retail stores. Um, it'll typically stay in a retail store for one to maximum two weeks. After that, we'll pull that off. That gets funneled to what we call an outlet center where we dump books on these giant tables and you're buying books by the pound. So uh, for like a quarter a pound, you're, you're buying this book. Um, and then if we can't sell it there, we will then sell it to bulk book buyers across the country. Um, and they'll buy it and they'll try and sell it in their own consignment shops or they'll try and sell them online. And if we can't sell them there, we'll sell them to recyclers that are going to run it through a process where they strip off the binding and recycle the, the paper. So the cool thing about books is we've got a market for it somewhere along that value chain. Um, and our vision is that we can try and create that exact same model for everything else that we receive. Now, obviously, that's extremely difficult when you're talking about composite materials that are more difficult to recycle, um, such as a, uh, a wood with a veneer, with metal, with fabric covering it. makes it very difficult. Okay. Interesting. So let's talk about clothing, because clothing makes up, what, 85% of probably your inbound donations in terms of quantity, not in terms of weight. And it also, interestingly enough, makes up about 85% of all the clothing that's produced and used here in the United States ends up in the landfill every year. Um, so as we talk through that a little bit, you know, 15% of that's getting donated. Can you expand on that thought? And correct me if my percentages or informations are a little incorrect. But talk about the inbound textiles that are coming into Goodwill Industries for a second. Yeah, and, and as for the percentage, um, I really don't know what the, the national percentages are. But I know with Goodwill, clothing is by far the number one thing. Um, it's probably 60% of the total volume that we get. It makes up at least 60% of our sales um, in our retail stores. And then if you factor that through, the, um, through our, our outlet center and into our salvage markets, it's 80% of the entire value comes from textiles. So um, textiles, it's, it's an interesting thing because um, there's a lot that can be done with textiles and there's a lot that people assume can be done that really isn't being done. Um, yeah, we, <clears throat> with textiles, we, um, we do here in Grand Rapids about uh, 6.5 million pounds of textiles annually that's specifically goes into the salvage markets um, while the majority of what we get um, ends up in those markets um, a lot of it goes into our stores and sells through our 19 different retail locations okay so uh, while we're talking about textiles i mean textiles is kind of a broad category and so when people hear the word textiles they also think about belts and shoes and purses and and other things that are kind of related to clothing so let's help our folks understand that value just a little bit um, when Goodwill Industries gets clothing and accessories, that same sorting occurs as we talked about on all of those items in the non-clothing market as long as the clothing. You know, the salvage side of it, you know, where 60% of that goes to, you know, I know is one of the things that impressed me the most the last time that I toured your facility. 
So let's just touch base on, you know, for example, where are belts and purses and, and clothing in general kind of laid out in that salvage market as, you know, price per pound is yeah, kind of a number. That's great. Um, so, so we've seen, for, for clothing at least, for clothing, we've seen it as low as around $0.04 cents per pound for some of this material um, and as high as up to $0.24 cents a pound uh, several years ago. Um, I think that um, obviously it depend, depends completely on supply and demand. Um, a lot of those materials end up in Africa, Central America, Pakistan, and India. It depends on the political dynamics of what's going on there. So there's a whole, um, I guess, a whole list of different variables that impact some of that pricing. And one thing that's important to note, too, is that is for pricing on uh, usable clothing in salvage markets. There's a difference between salvage markets and recycle markets. So a salvage market is something that's going to be reused, um, whereas a recycle is going to be ground up, the raw material be reused to make something new. So what does that market look like, the recycle market? You know, so, so for Goodwill, we tend to work with brokers. So we don't look a whole lot at that next, um, that next downstream within there. Um, we do know that some of the folks we sell to will, um, they'll pick out the really good stuff and move that through to um, the reuse markets because that's where the majority of the value is in textiles. The um, other materials um, will either go to be shredded to be used as, I, I know there's some groups in Arizona, I believe, doing jeans and turning those jeans into insulation for houses. Um, some of them will use for the automotive industry. They'll grind up some of the fabrics and use those as kind of shoddy material for the backs of, of some of the, the, the carpets and the fabrics that they've got. Um, and to be honest, um, one thing that I think is, is going to be needed going into the future as third world countries start modernizing and moving up, um, there's the risk that these um, secondary reuse markets slowly dissipate and go away. There's going to be more of a need for finding innovation within the textile markets for recycling because there's a lot of folks that have, you know, scraps from furniture manufacturers, um, mattress recyclers, things like that that are also textiles but not wearables that are having a tough time figuring out exactly what to do with that material. So in the recycle market on the textiles, you know, if, if four cents a pound is the low side on the reuse salvage market, what's that clothing look like on a recycle side? Is there a value to that? Or is that you're paying some transportation costs to get it somewhere at a zero value? You know, that, that's a fantastic question. And I really don't know. Um, I know that from folks that have been Reaching out to me and trying to find markets for that stuff, it's been a pretty low value stuff. And from what I understand, they haven't even been able to find people to take some of that material. Um, so that's where innovation becomes uh, an important next step in f closing that last part of the loop in the textile industry. And I just want to really quick step back also. You had mentioned you know, shoes, belts, and purses. The shoes, belts, and purses are going to follow that exact same process. So the majority of that stuff is going to be sold into those reuse markets versus the recycle markets. Um, so the more we can do to find um, innovative solutions for taking shoes and turning them into something else or the leather from belts, chopping it up and somehow using that for another thing, that's a, a real opportunity for some young entrepreneur to come up with uh, a fantastic idea that can um, help 
take some of these materials that are finding their ways into the landfill at some point in the supply chain and turn them into real value. Fantastic. So recyclers, listen to what Nick said there in relations to markets, you know, that consume the goodwill industry salvage and recycle portion. It's really interesting to me when you compare that to what people think about when they're talking about traditional recycling, curbside recycling, or, you know, traditional uh, commodity market recycling. You know, the value of items that goodwill industry is reclaiming you know, are sometimes much higher than what we're seeing, you know, of traditional curbside stuff. So when you're thinking of, you know, I've got this item that I want to throw away because I don't think anyone else wants it, you know, it might be something that has a a tremendous amount of value in the goodwill market segment or the donation segment that you don't. So Nick's example was, you know, clothing could go as high as 24 cents. You know, in today's market, uh, you know, if we're looking at PET water bottles, they're 15 cents a pound. You know, HDPE natural, which are milk jugs, are 33 cents a pound. And paper, which is, you know, by far what most of the MRFs were built to sort out, is trending about two cents a pound. So paper is, is less valuable in today's economy, today, right now, than clothing is at its lowest point. So that's something that, you know, as we look at this recycling in terms of weights and values of reclaimed goods, Goodwill Industries is really making a big difference compared to the impacts at the curb, wouldn't you say, Nick? Yeah, you know, um, the impact um, from those <clears throat> at the curb, the curbside recycling, it's really focusing on a different product altogether, um, and that is an essential piece to, um, you know, having a strong, sustain- sustainable materials management program for a community. It really is. Um, but to your point, um, those uh, local material recovery facilities and the curbside recycling isn't tapping into this whole other sector. And that's what's beautiful about um, Goodwill is we're able to take some more of these durable, long-term goods that come in through our supply chain and able to turn those into value that we can then invest back in the community. Fantastic. So, Nick, I want to talk about there's a trend developing right now in curbside recycling Um, And that's also, you know, that same trend that we've seen building for years now in what I call the drop box recycle market. Uh, There's, you know, certain companies out there that are really promoting, you know, a bagged, picked up at the curb style program. And I know Goodwill's done some of that over the years as well in different communities as promotions. You know, how is that going to affect organizations like Goodwill you know, and, and are they filling a different niche or is it all kind of one big pot? You know, that, that's, that's a really good question. And I think it depends on what happens after that collection. So, you know, curbside is just a means to the next end, right? So if folks are taking those materials, <clears throat> and, and one thing that's beautiful about Goodwill, and this is nothing to, to um, degrade any other uh, company that's doing some of this stuff, but one thing that's great about Goodwill is Goodwill there are 160 plus Goodwills across the United States and we're in 14 different countries right now. And what happens is when you donate to that Goodwill within your community, the, the funds that are earned from the sales of those materials stay in your community. So they're not going to some place like in Chicago or New York and you know funding a mission there. It's all helping with your own local community. Um, the curbside, going back to the curbside, that's that's really a method or a mechanism for collection. 
really what matters is what happens afterwards. So if some of these folks are saying, okay, we're going to take these clothes and then just instantly shred them, you're not necessarily getting the maximum value for the community. Or if they're taking them and just instantly shipping them into salvage markets, you're going to be getting your between four and 24 cents a pound, which is great for them. But wouldn't it be even better if you donate to your local Salvation Army, your local Goodwill, your local um, nonprofit that is managing these things, giving the opportunity to sell that stuff locally and invest those dollars back into mission services in that community and then going to um, some of those secondary markets beyond the local thrift retail. Um, I think <clears throat> that's one thing for folks to be conscious of in terms of earning the value. In terms of managing those materials, um, I would much rather see people doing that than sending them to the landfill if they can. But um, at the moment, like I said, the value really is in that reuse market more so than in the shredding and recycling of those textiles. Before I go on to some other key initiatives of Goodwill Industries, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on the negative impacts many cities have had with the metal donation bins, um, aka the drop-off sites and retail parking lots, you know, found across this country. I know there's many communities that have had to modify their local ordinances to address those donation bins as they've had huge issues with dumping and, you know, necessarily not clothing or textiles, but trash being left alongside these bins, furniture and other items that Absolutely. weren't intended to be by the bin. You know, can you expand on that a little bit for the listeners today? Yeah, so so Goodwill in Grand Rapids actually used to do that. We moved away from it because exactly what you said, you get a lot of trash, you get a lot of different things that build up in there that um, people are just trying to get rid of stuff that really doesn't um, help with our mission. So we moved away from that, and we, we opt for a model where um, we provide you attended donation centers that are covered you pull up to a goodwill store we come out and help you unload your stuff give you the tax receipt and um, you're on your way <clears throat> versus trying to manage these boxes and one of the issues with the boxes kind of going back to what we were talking about just a little bit ago is you're not necessarily earning the maximum value from those donations for your community that you could um, you get a lot of folks that are for-profit companies that come in and they go under a guise of a nonprofit or they put this box out and they're not as clear on um, what they're doing with this material. Um, they start cutting the, um, the local nonprofits kind of margins out because they're taking this stuff and moving it directly out of the community um, just to um, help them somewhere else. So, and there are some some good nonprofits that are that are using them as an effective tool, um, but they also become a, an eyesore. And, and for me, to me, it seems like the the local community, the local zoning, should be the ones that have the decision rights to 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 do what they want with these bins. Um, we have there's Goodwills across the country that still use the bins, so we're not against it. It's just a matter of uh, managing them properly, um, and again, making sure you're getting the maximum value out of the material so you can uh, influence your own community. All right. You heard it right there. So the maximum value is what we're always driving for. And, you know, that's true to a lot of us in the recycling community. I mean, that's the goal here. Uh, you know, as this turbulent time is amongst us right here in 2018, you know, with domestic recycling markets on the core stuff you see at the curb, you know, that's uh, an unintended consequence of 
of us not putting good, valuable stuff in the recycle stream for a long period of time. So creating items that have value, that have markets, is, is important to not only Goodwill Industries, but to all recyclers. So Nick, I'd like to talk about the complicated side of Goodwill. And so let's explore the process with electronics waste and musical instruments and whatever examples other than that you'd like to use. Not only does Goodwill accept items, and, you know, they receive them by the truckload. Um, you know, a recent report, uh, you know, put out said that the millennial population is not holding on to things that their parents had have given them. And as their parents pass, they're, you know, pushing a lot more material to the donation market like yours. And so in that, you're getting, you know, some higher value items, whether they're electronics or musical instruments or fine china or fancy swords or, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. So, you know, how do you get through those value items and how do they go back to that value stream market? I know that, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about online sales here as well. You know, Goodwill, you know, is growing 25% or better year over year in their online market. So let's kind of talk through those those more complicated items a little bit. Yeah, that's that, that's great. So um, you are absolutely right. Our, our e-commerce division, um, shopgoodwill.com, is a national goodwill platform for selling items um, from goodwill throughout the entire country Um, it's a really cool website if you get an opportunity again it's shopgoodwill.com definitely check it out it's very similar to an ebay but it's only goodwill products that are going on there Um, and in fact literally this past week we just sold a painting that came through our donation stream for six thousand over six thousand dollars i think it was almost six thousand five hundred for a painting that probably, like you said, a millennial didn't know what they had and they just wanted to get rid of grandma's old stuff and it ended up being a, a pretty valuable um, a, a valuable donation for us. So one item like that makes a huge difference for what we're able to um, do um, here at Goodwill. Um, and but, but you're right, the, the difficult thing is we get that one painting in the midst of also getting 6,000 other things and it's hard to know what's what and, you know, what the true value of each of these things are. Um, and it's, and it, it makes it exceedingly difficult to earn the maximum value. So we're always trying to um, improve the talent level of our staff, training them to find unique things, to pull them out, get them to our e-commerce division, try them online to see what we can, we can end up getting for it. And we know we miss some things. We know there's some stuff that comes through that we're – we might send it to be recycled versus uh, versus putting it online, and we're we're always trying to get better and better at that. Um, in terms of like electronics, things like that, most of them we will bring in. If we t- do resell electronics, we will wipe the data, the hard drives, things like that, and then try and sell it. Um, but a lot of it we'll we'll try and recycle as well. So, and that's a difficult thing as well. A laptop comes in, and we can make good money on a. a uh, newer laptop, but then with that comes a CRT um, cathode ray tube monitor. Well, that's going to cost Goodwill 25 to 35 cents per pound to recycle properly. And we've made commitments to ensure that we're managing this material the, to the best of our ability. So we don't want to throw a toxic, ca- toxic uh, cathode ray tube television into the trash. Um, so we're instead of spending three, four cents a pound to throw it away, we're going to spend the 25, 35 to do it. Um, but 
um, we, we don't accept them as donations, but we still get, you know, 6,000 something of those every year, um, because people drop them off after hours. Um, and we, we really need to, as a state, as a nation, find better solutions for some of these toxic materials. Um, cause right now what's happening is Goodwill's having to flip the bill that's taking directly away from the ability for Goodwill to invest in its community in terms of job development, training, and placement services, and instead um, forcing Goodwill to um, spend money that is not mission critical, but is socially and environmentally responsible. So why you're there, you know, that pulls to me extended producer responsibility, EPR. You know, that has a, a tremendous impact on Goodwill Industries, does it not? It does, because um, <clears throat> again, if if there's not somebody like the, the producer, the manufacturer is making this this equipment, um, if there's not somebody to help um, either help us on the back end to manage that stuff responsibly or at the front end make these products so that they don't have the toxins in them, which I know is a, a tall order, but if we can be smarter about how we're designing things, then the back end is easy to take care of if it's designed right in the first place. That's not the case, Jonathan, for a lot of different things, right? So as these materials come through, somebody still has to manage it. And we spend a lot of money each year just managing the donations that we get that um, don't, don't benefit us at all. So another example of that is mattresses. So Goodwill does not, Goodwill and Grand Rapids does not and has not and will not ever accept mattresses as donations because they can carry bed bugs, they can carry all kinds of nasty things that we'd have to, that could shut us down if we didn't uh, handle them properly. So um, while we don't take them, we still receive six every single day in our network. So we don't accept them, we get six every day um, and we that we have to throw away, fumigate, get rid of. Um, that's a cost. That's a cost to um, really to the community because Goodwill is a community-owned company. So as we're talking about the electronics and you're talking about reworking those laptops and disassembling, you know, some other electronics, is that part of your labor force then? Are you using the the, the ready-to-work force that you guys are developing in that process? So, yeah, we have a very small there, – there's some Goodwills. I know Goodwill in Austin, Texas, has a very robust program for this, which is, is a, a model to, to look at. Um, and we have a very small team, team of really just two folks that are kind of going through some of our electronics there um, in terms of getting them ready to sell. We do um, end up partnering with a couple different local recyclers to recycle a lot of the rest of the volume. Um, we've seen a, a sharp decline in um, in our electronics recycling, primarily because we stopped accepting televisions. And once we stopped taking those CRTs, um, people have a hard time getting rid of the rest of their stuff. So they bring it wherever's taking all of those materials. So in that workforce, uh, when you and I did a tour a few years back, I saw you had uh, someone trained or or actually professionally licensed one or the other as a jeweler. Yeah. Because yeah. Goodwill gets a lot of jewelry in, and, and part of that value stream, again, is, you know, identifying what's costume jewelry versus a, you know, $20,000 diamond brooch that a millennial donated of his great-grandma's that he wanted. <laughs> yeah, we do, we do an awful lot of jewelry stuff. We try, and um, we bring it to a central location. We try and run it through all the tests, uh, acid tests, all the different 
things that will tell us what the true value of those of that jewelry is. We'll sell in bulk online some of our jewelry. We'll sell in our stores a lot of the jewelry, but the the more um, valuable stuff will sell individually online. And if and if we're not quite sure what something is, there's we, we work with some partners around here that appraise jewelry. So we'll bring it to a jewelry store and say, hey, what is this worth? Um, so we're able to earn that maximum value. So as we talk about you know more complex items, I know that different goodwill industries across the country have you know, relationships and models where they're doing disassembly as part of their ready-to-workforce group. Um, you know, the Detroit location pops into my mind with, you know, their relationship with disassembling transformers. Um, you know, talk to me about how that's growing in the Goodwill model and, and how, you know, you see that looking in the next, you know, four to five years. You know, that's that's very interesting because, yeah, you, you mentioned the, the Detroit um Greenworks program, I think is what it's called. They have a phenomenal program where they're disassembling a lot of stuff for, I believe, the, the energy sector and some different things. And it's been a really successful piece to their operation. And um, each Goodwill across the country, by the way, is completely different than the next. If you go to Detroit and they're doing this um, deconstruction program through their Greenworks project, you're not going to see that in Milwaukee, but Milwaukee might be doing something completely different. And I know Indianapolis has the Excel centers, which are schools that they run. Um, so every single Goodwill is going to look different. In fact, in Goodwill, we have a phrase that if you've seen one Goodwill, you've seen one Goodwill. <clears throat> you haven't seen everything. They're, the operating models are different. The services they're providing are different. And that's actually a, a, a net benefit, in my opinion, because what Detroit needs is not what Grand Rapids needs and what Indianapolis needs is not what Milwaukee needs and they're able to really focus on the needs of those specific communities. Um, so going back to your, your, your question um, in terms of contract services or disassembly, you know, it's interesting because the, in terms of managing the donation supply chain, there's been actually a little bit of a reduction in how people have been processing very simply because commodity markets have been tanking. So uh, for plastics, for mixed residential plastics, I can't get more than two cents a pound for those materials. And when I talk to folks at MERS, they're getting like nothing for stuff because of uh, China sword and different global uh, geopolitical issues that are happening. So you see some goodwills kind of moving away from that stuff based on markets. Um, you see minimum wage increases coming into play. So the cost to do some of this stuff is different. So automation is becoming important in this part of, of our business, um, which doesn't leave a whole lot of room for some of the deconstruction that used to happen. Um, at the same time, we're also looking for those next innovations to continue to reduce total landfill volumes and costs. Um, and also create and provide jobs for folks in our community. Um, so it's kind of this, this double-edged sword, really. Um, we see it reducing, but we also see, uh, we see investment in um, deconstruction reducing, but we also see more and more folks getting on the sustainability bandwagon to try and figure out what are the best options um, for us to manage some of these materials that we're receiving. That's awesome. Nick, let's, let's wrap this up with a little rapid-fire question. Um, you know, just shout out what pops in your mind and, uh, you know, we'll kind of close it up with this. Can you talk about what's made you successful in your position with Goodwill Industries? Sure. Um, I think in one word, I think the word caring kind of comes across. So it's not just about 
um, you know, being in a specific function or specific, specific role within the company. It's, it's a lot about how you in, invest yourself in it. So um, investing your time, investing what you care about. And when it comes down to the social services we provide, as you heard in my background, I studied to be a pastor, um, decided not to go in that direction, but I still have this awesome opportunity to help build something that helps serve our community. And that's really meaningful for me. Simultaneously, the sustainability side, uh, Michigan especially, the Great Lakes are like the largest body of fresh water in the world, and we have an obligation to protect that. Um, so for me, it's that sustainability, the um, social services side um, that really gets me going and gets me excited about what we're doing. So if, if you've got this level of caring for what you do, um, it makes a huge difference. It really helps you um, when you're going on those mountains and when you're down in the valleys, when you're, when you're struggling. So um, I think caring has been one of the, the words that I would say. Um, love what you do and do what you love, right, Nick? You got it. How do you find the best resources for the long list of materials that Goodwill Industry collects? Um, I would say that the, the, the best, um, the way to do that is through, simply through network, networking. Um, so I go to a lot of Goodwill Industries international events. So we get all together, we, we learn from each other what somebody's doing, what somebody else is, and then make those connections and try and incorporate that into our models. Um, also, the, the Michigan Recycling Coalition here in the West Michigan Sustainable Business Forum here in West Michigan. Those have been great um, resources. I'll also say that um, even waste haulers, waste management, Republic, a lot of different folks um, are, are willing to help to find some of these solutions because they know that's in their best interest in the long run. Um, so networking, I think, would be a huge, huge thing um, to help find markets for a lot of products. All right, folks, conferences, finding people that know things that you don't and learning from them. That's how you get to know where the good places are. If you've learned one really hard lesson in your time here at Goodwill, Nick, what, what would that hard lesson be? I think the, you know, it, it's an important thing to know, um, and that is that you have to have the resources and you have to have the talent um, to be able to pull some of the things off that you want to. Don't ever go into a situation thinking that you can just do this without having the right people and the right knowledge. Um, I've seen too many people and too many businesses um, try things and fail simply because they didn't talk to the right person or they didn't give themselves the, 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 the time that they needed to truly be thoughtful and develop things. So um, I would say just be... Be critical on making sure you have the talent you need. Vision, leadership, all that stuff is so important. But if you don't have a team that's helping and you're trying to do this all solo, um, you will fail. And I've had to learn some of those things the hard way um, where put into a position where I wasn't the, the resident expert. And it takes a longer time to get to success that way. So um, build a strong team, um, I would say, has been one of the most crucial lessons, lessons that I've learned. And make sure you give your team the resources necessary so that they don't fail or get burnt out. Good people, right mission. All right, Nick, let's close it up with my favorite question. If you could be a superhero, who would you be and why? <sighs> that, that's a really good question. And I guess I would say... Um, Superman, um, because Superman can do pretty much anything, and there's only like one small weakness, 
Um, that's kryptonite. So as long as you stay away from that, you're all right. Awesome. Nick, thank you for taking the time today to talk through with us and engage with the Recycler Secrets listeners. Um, before we part ways, tell the fine folks at home how best to get in touch with you. And if they ever want to learn more about Goodwill Industries or, or get a tour here of Goodwill Industries Greater Grand Rapids. Yeah. Um, so if you want a tour, you want to get a hold of me, anything, um, my email address is ncarlson at goodwillgr.org. And um, you can check out our website at www.goodwillgr.org. Um, and I'd be happy to walk you through, give you a tour. Um, I, 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 I tell people before the tour, if they don't learn anything on this tour, then they were sleeping because um, it's amazing the, the different pieces that are moving around this whole chaotic puzzle um, and how we're able to earn value out of that to, um, to serve our mission. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you from deep in my heart for listening today. The Recycler Secret Podcast is a passion project for me to help spread the word on what is possible and what is successful I want to remind you that my goal in these interviews with our guests is to provide you, the listener, with a few bits of guidance and insights that might make you think of improvements or changes in the world that you can make happen. So let's give Nick Carlson a big tip of the hat as our first guest and a great recycler. Thank you, Nick. That's a wrap, folks. Thanks for listening and for lending me your earballs. And please keep your eyeballs looking towards the future.